Welcome to The Skin Reel, your guide to all things skincare, skin health, beauty, and more, curated by dermatologists and true skin experts. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Alice Mina. I'm a double board certified dermatologist and dermatologic surgeon with over a decade of clinical experience. If you're looking for real, practical, unhyped skincare guidance and expertise, or you just think the skin is really cool, then you're in the right spot. I'm so glad you've tuned in to The Skin Reel. Now let's dive in because this is how dermatologists talk skin. Hi everyone, quick disclaimer here before we start. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. If you're looking for help on your skin journey, please check out the American Academy of Dermatology's website, aad.org, where you can search their database for dermatologists near you. It is so important that you have someone in your corner who's well-trained, licensed, and board-certified who can help you make decisions when it comes to your skin health. Okay, got it? Great. Now for the fun stuff. Hi, skin friend. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of The Skin Reel. This week, I am really excited to have board-certified facial plastic surgeon, Dr. Prim Tripathi, joining me today. Now, Dr. Prim, as he's known to his patients, is a renowned facial plastic surgeon in San Francisco. And for people who aren't sure, well, what is a facial plastic surgeon? These are physicians who have extensive training operating on areas like the head and the neck. And some undergo a fellowship like Dr. Prem to really focus exclusively on cosmetic surgical procedures of the skin. Now, when Dr. Prem is not seeing patients in his practice or taking care of his adorable three daughters, he is a big leader and educator on social media. He loves to debunk common misconceptions of cosmetic procedures and just help educate the public about the world of plastic surgery. So he is a great resource. I'm so glad he is joining us today on the Skin Reel, and I can't wait to take a deep dive into the world of facial plastic surgery. Dr. Prim, thanks so much for being here. I'm super excited. You are my first non-dermatologist on, and I'm really excited to get your expertise and perspective as a facial plastic surgeon. Thank you so much. Very honored to be here, and uh, it's going to be good. Yeah, well, let's just start off because some of the listeners and viewers may not know what is a facial plastic surgeon. Yeah, so facial plastic surgery is basically basically born completely out of a different field. So we focus everything on head and neck. So things like rhinoplasties, facelifts, eyelids. But then we do a lot of other procedures that involve skin as well. So lasers, injectables, anything really pertaining to the aesthetics and reconstruction of the face and neck. I don't do a lot of this anymore, but that even includes skin cancer reconstructions and big head and neck surgery reconstructions. It's a very big, all-encompassing field. But I think a lot of people don't know about it because maybe only about 50 or so graduates finish facial plastic surgery a year. Very cool. So is it a separate, do you take a fellowship to do this? Yeah. So we do the same four years of medical school that all doctors do. And then we do five years of head and neck surgery. So that's, again, primarily all functional, aesthetic, reconstructive surgeries of the head and neck. And then it's a separate one-year fellowship. And even in that, it can be pretty varied. I mean, I've had colleagues that do a facial plastic surgery fellowship, but they do all cancer reconstruction. For me, it was primarily aesthetic fellowship, so I didn't do any of the reconstructive stuff. 
but it is a separate one-year fellowship. And then we're boarded also afterwards in facial plastic surgery. So if someone wants to make sure they're really seeing the cream of the crop, the best of the best, should they feel safe knowing that someone is a board-certified facial plastic surgeon who's doing their procedures? Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing about Anytime you word, use the word, I think, plastic in the procedure is that everybody thinks that the training is all the same. But primarily, facial plastic surgeons in aesthetics that are in the aesthetic world really started off with rhinoplasty because we do all of our training in the nose for five years and we're very comfortable with that anatomy. And really nowadays, especially with complex secondary rhinoplasties, tertiary rhinoplasties, those are just really getting handed over to us. So I would always recommend that you do due diligence and figure out who you're subspecialist is because they're really like I, I, I always joke that there's going to be a surgeon that does like just left eyelid surgeries one day right things are getting so specialized <laughs> but if you're concerned about really something on the face and neck you can rest assured that somebody that has a training in facial plastics really does have that specialty training we don't focus on anywhere else on the body it is really our territory so no bbls for you right you're just fate head and neck right Exactly. Yeah. No BBLs. No, I don't do any tummy tucks. The only thing I do like on the abdomen is take a tiny bit of fat for the face, but I stay as far away from that part of the body as possible. You're so true about everyone is so subspecialized, right? That even within our subspecialty of Mohs and procedural dermatology and yours as facial plastic surgeons, each doctor, each surgeon is going to have their sort of niche within that area. So if you are having a rhinoplasty or a nose job, you want to see someone who really specializes in that. That's great to know. Well, that kind of leads me on my next topic. What are some of the procedures that you perform? Yeah. So, I mean, I perform all aesthetic surgeries of the face and neck. So rhinoplasty is really probably the thing that I do the most of and the thing I enjoy the most, but I also do upper and lower eyelid surgeries, lip lifts, neck contouring, facelifts, brow lifts, and then the non-surgical treatments. So Botox and fillers, lasers, microneedling, radiofrequency treatments, really all that it takes to make people look as good as they sort of feel on the inside. There are like, you know, sort of like you alluded to, I have colleagues that really only do like third and fourth time rhinoplasties. And so although I do them, I very frequently send my patients that are in that boat to those doctors as well, because obviously we want what's best by our patients. But really, those are the areas that I focus on. And I think the talk about it on here, probably the, the field is changing quite a bit, but I don't think that's going to change our focus, which is, you know, the face. Well, let's just continue the conversation with rhinoplasties, right? So probably a lot of people listening have heard about a nose job or known someone who's had one. And then in, I don't know, the last, what, five, 10 years, I've been seeing a lot about liquid rhinoplasties or a liquid nose job versus a surgical. Can you just elaborate on that? To answer your question, so a liquid rhinoplasty is really using some kind of filler, like a dermal filler that you would use your lips or your cheeks to change the shape of the nose. It's primarily for people that have a little bit of a bump that they're trying to camouflage, or maybe a little bit of the tip of their nose that they're trying to refine. In general, though, if you imagine you're taking a gel, you can't actually make the nose smaller. You can make it maybe look a little more harmonious with the rest of the face, but it's not going to make the nose necessarily smaller or change it dramatically. Although I've seen some pretty amazing rhinoplasties, but in general, it can also be sometimes like a little test drive if you're interested in a rhinoplasty and really the hump is the only thing that bugs you. But not to make it seem like a small task because it's a quick in-office procedure. There are major risks associated with it. It really is a high-risk area that 
only a few people that really should be performing this. And it is all the rage right now because anytime something can be done in the office in 10 minutes, it's going gonna, it's gonna to catch on fast. If something's non-surgical, people just think, oh, that means it's risk-free. It's not going to be dangerous at all. No recovery quick and easy, which it's not always the case. And I'm glad you brought up that this area on the nose, putting filler around the nose and on the nose can be dangerous if you get filler in one of those little arteries, which the nose has a robust blood supply, right? So again, if you are thinking about getting it done, make sure you see someone who really knows the anatomy and knows how to do this. Because again, just because it's non-surgical doesn't mean it's without risk, right? Absolutely. And that's what I always tell people. I mean, I think it's becoming almost a point where a Botox feels like getting your nails done, right? It's just something where people go in every few months and they don't think twice about it. And 10, 15 years ago, I mean, I, that was not the case, right? So yeah, a liquid rhinoplasty will never be one of those procedures. It is not without risks and they're low, right? In general, they're pretty low risk, but even though it's a low risk, it's not a risk that I take. I, I don't do liquid rhinoplasties for that particular reason. I want to be able to sleep at night and not have to think about it. And I think while there are risks with rhinoplasty, blindness is really not a risk with rhinoplasty, but it is a risk with liquid rhinoplasty. I don't take that risk. And, and there's probably only two people on the planet that I would trust with doing that. <laughs> yeah. And you're right. It really only just helps. It Maybe I've done it where it's a small hump on the nose that you're just trying to level out and smooth and using very low volumes of it. If you have a larger nose and you're really looking to change that, the liquid rhinoplasty is not going to do it. You're going to be disappointed. But great that you mentioned how it really is a procedure you have to take seriously if you're going to get it done. Now, what about just regular rhinoplasties? What is that involved? Do you have to spend the night in the hospital? Is it a long recovery? Can you just kind of briefly break that down for us? I'll tell you, most rhinoplasty patients or patients that are interested in rhinoplasty that are coming in are truly people that are bothered by their nose or have been that way for a long time. So I think if you're considering the procedure and maybe somebody mentioned something to you or you saw yourself in the mirror one day and didn't really like it, it might be something you think twice about because most of these patients, I'll tell you, are ones that have been bullied a long time or just, you know, have been bothered by a long time other than, you know, separate from their breathing issue if they've had breathing issues. But the process is actually relatively straightforward. You go in for a consultation. I do morphs of your nose and we talk about the procedure so you can actually kind of see what it's going to look like or what we propose it to look like. And then you don't have to stay in the hospital. You come in for the procedure. It's fully outpatient. You go home the same day. I am pretty particular about patients. I see them very frequently. So I see them the next day and then four days later, seven days later, and then very frequently thereafter. But in all honesty, the, and I've had two myself, so I can tell you that it's not a very painful procedure. It's a little uncomfortable because it's right in the middle of your face um, and we frequently break your nose. So it can be a little uncomfortable, but not really not something that you need a lot of pain medication for, which again, I've stopped giving my patients pain meds, not something that ice generally can't control. And then after the first couple of days, after that, really, you're just ready to kind of move on with your life. So I'll tell you the biggest part of the rhinoplasty recovery is that healing phase. It really takes a full year to see your final results. You're going to love it one day and hate it the next. And that is very much something we have to stress because the acute recovery is really not a big deal. But it's that long-term recovery where six months in, you're like, why, why do I still have like a potato in the middle of my face? 
case. And I have to tell patients it, it, it takes some time. <laughs> when you've been wanting this procedure and you invest the time and the money and take time off, it can be frustrating when you want to see those results sooner. But yeah, I, I have heard that about rhinoplasty, that it really just takes a year. So not a quick and easy solution, huh? I have colleagues that won't do revision rhinoplasties on patients unless been two or three years since their primary. So, and I can tell you, even from personal experience, the, the nose changes a lot in that first year. And even, you know, it does change quite a bit, even in the year one to two. So it is a waiting game. It's definitely a waiting game. Is there an age where if someone is a teenager, they hate their nose, do people ever grow into it? Or is 18 too young for rhinoplasty? Or is it really like whenever you're ready? Yeah. So, I mean, I would say in general, there isn't obviously an upper limit, but we sometimes will do rhinoplasties in younger patients, in girls or in people under 18. Unfortunately, boys take a little longer to mature. So 15, 16, 17 sounds pretty young, but most of the time, all the growing is pretty much done. In those patients, I mean, I'm obviously extremely careful. There's a lot of counseling going on between the patient and family, and those are rare. There really isn't, uh, you know, younger than 15, I don't know too many people that are doing rhinoplasty. But I'll tell you, on the most of my patients are probably mid-20s to mid-30s. It's really at a time when they feel like they have continued to be upset by it or at least somewhat bothered by it. Not that it affects their everyday functioning, but you know they're, they're still kind of annoyed by it and they feel like it just doesn't fit the rest of their face. That's probably the most common thing I hear is, you know, it doesn't really bring out my eyes. It doesn't really enhance things when I when I take pictures. It's really just a focus and I want the focus to be taken off that feature. I love that. I feel like there's a trend and you can speak to this more because I'm not, I don't do rhinoplasties, but it seemed like for a while there, people were just doing the exact same rhinoplasty. You kept seeing the same looking nose. And I feel like now it's really done more to fit the patient's face and it's not sort of like a one size fits all. Do you feel like that's changed in your specialty or just maybe depends on which surgeons doing it? I think it's very surgeon dependent. I mean, you've probably seen some of the really popular like Turkish rhinoplasties and, and the Turkish rhinoplasty surgeons are incredible. Their noses tend to look fairly similar no matter who it is, because that is so, sort of a reflection of the aesthetic there. But in the US, I do think that we really strive to, you know, my, my goal is always to do a rhinoplasty where like even your mom would know you had your rhinoplasty done, right? Where it just, it fits your face so well that it just blends right in and it brings out your eyes and nobody would ever know. And that can't really be a Barbie one size fits all. It really does have to go with the rest of your features. And sometimes it actually takes quite a bit of counseling. I have had patients that really want their nose completely narrow and they say, not only you're not going to be able to breathe, it, you're just going to look bananas if you have someone else's nose just plastered on your face. And obviously with social media and celebrities and 2D images, it can be very confusing, but that's why the consult's so important. That's why like morphing the picture and, and taking patients through this whole journey is, is so important. Sometimes you'll think, I mean, I, I know this like with my hairstyle or clothes, like that looks so great on that person, but on you, not so much. So yeah, it's important to make sure it fits you for sure. Now, I'd love to talk about another procedure, and I'm not sure if you do this or not, but what about buccal fat removal? This seems to be all over social media. What are your thoughts on that? Do you perform it? Yeah, so it is a popular procedure. I mean, it's always been something that we did, but just like anything in aesthetics, as soon as like a celebrity does it or a celebrity, we catch wind that a celebrity did it, now all of a sudden everybody wants it done. But I do do this procedure. It's really taking a deep fat pad that's in the buckle space or in the cheek and trimming it down, not removing it entirely, 
just to get more of a valley between the cheek and the jawline. And really when people are looking for like sculpting of the face or more definition, they're just really looking for those contrast areas, right? Highlights and peaks and valleys. And so it is a procedure I do, but really again, it's all about patient selection. A lot of people are not the right candidate. The most common question I get is that, am I going to look older when I'm 50 or 60? Am I going to look a lot older? And in general, no, it's a deep fat pad that starts to drop with age anyway. It is one that we also take out during facelifts very frequently through the facelift incision because it's right there and it's starting to drop. So it is a common one, but I think just like in your profession, we walk people off the ledge quite a bit because you'll get an influx of people and everybody wants it. And maybe 10% of people are candidates. Absolutely. I know we went from sort of the Miss Piggy, really puffy look with lots and lots of filler to the Maleficent look, right? With the really sort of sunken in face and with the buckle fat removal. So yeah, again, it's all about balance. You may not have the right face for it. And just because it looks amazing on someone, it may not fit your face. So again, that's where getting someone who is really trained, really has expertise, who can help guide you because not every procedure is right for every person. So that's great. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's just there are lots of plastic surgeons, dermatologists, uh, you know, that when it's a cash paying business, there are people that will just do it for anyone. But that I think that's the other thing I sort of talk about a lot about on social media is finding someone that says no a lot. I say no all the time. It's just not ethical to do a procedure when it's not indicated. And, and aesthetics is really no different. And no other medical procedure should it be that way aesthetics included. Yes, this is cash-based and you want someone who who will tell you no. And sometimes that's really, really hard, especially if you really like doing surgery and performing things. But if it's not the right person, don't do it. And you should run to surgeons and doctors who will tell you no, right? Because you know you're going to get good advice with that. I would love to know what is one of your favorite procedures to, or surgical procedures, we'll start with that, to perform. So I talked a little bit about rhinoplasty. I mean, that's my bread and butter. Another one that I would say that's like really top up there is lip lifts. I know that there's like a that's another one that's sort of a trendy one it has been around a long time lip lifts were there primarily for patients that were older as your lip gets longer we take some skin out from under your nose and make the lip look just a little more harmonious again with the rest of the face the reason i like that one is when done well with its incision is not closed under tension it heals very very well and it might need a laser here and there but it heals very well it tends to look a lot more natural than filler in the right patient it's in office it's not a long recovery time. But yeah, I mean, I really like that procedure. And it's, it's again, an, one that a lot of plastic surgeons don't perform because they're concerned about that scar. And, and that I get. But remember, the face is really the best healing skin on the body. And it's pretty nice what we can do, especially when I think fillers became so easy to do. And then everyone started looking like abnormal. This is one nice thing that we can do for patients that looks very natural, enhances their own lip. And then if they want a little filler down line, they can, you know, add a little bit. I love lip flips as well. And I, I do a lot of skin cancer surgery and surgery on the face too. And I find that it can heal so nicely with a really hard to see scar. And for some of those patients, their filtrum, the part between their nose and their lip, it's, it's just too long. And you can put all the filler you want and all you're doing in is giving them that bulky lip, but not giving them the lift that they want. So I think a lip lift is a great option. And now this isn't the lip lift with a little Botox, right? This is the actual surgical procedure. But yeah, I think that's a great one that a lot of people don't necessarily, they don't, well, at least in my practice, they don't usually come in asking for that. They usually are asking for filler. And then again, it's all about patient selection and saying, well, I think this might look better. 
What I frequently tell patients is the reason lip filler tends to be very noticeable on some people, and, and you can't always pinpoint why, it's, is because of that, right? I mean, if you have long upper lip and full lips, I don't think that that combination exists in nature, right? I think you either have a long upper lip and thin lips, <laughs> or you have very full lips like my daughters do, and they're like three and seven, right? And so once you put those two combos together, then people just look bizarre. So yeah, I, I, you're right. It's all about the patient selection and just a little bit about that education. It can feel, I think, to a patient like an upsell, but I've had many patients tell me, hey, I've had lip filler before. I hate it. I don't know why. Is there anything else I can do? And then then we sort of have that discussion. Yeah. Why is it that our children have these like amazing lips, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They have this like really nice maxilla, <laughs> shortens that upper lip, and then they just have this like beautiful pouty. And I'll tell you, my wife, who's very lucky, blessed with good genes, she's got extremely nice full lips and has never had a drop of filler in there. So my, luckily, I have my, all my three girls, I think, inherited that. That's amazing. Good genetics, for sure. Yeah. Do you have a favorite non-surgical aesthetic procedure you like to do? Yeah. So I, um, and, and it's probably, maybe it might be similar to what you do. I really do like full skin rejuvenation. So I don't, it's not necessarily one procedure, but I do like pe taking people through that journey of like the sallow or hyperpigmented or crepey skin and then showing them kind of what we can do for them and how, yes, after it's going to take several months, maybe six months, they're going to really blossom with that combination of skincare, in-office peels, lasers, microneedling, whatever it be. I think that full scope plan to get you from point A to point B, that's really transformative because these aren't necessarily procedures that are going to change the way you look per se. No one's going to know that you had a procedure done, but it really can just brighten someone's entire look and focus on something that maybe they weren't as bothered by, didn't know they were as bothered by it. And really they come out on the other end, just, just so happy and, and just a lot more vibrant and confident. So even though it takes a lot of time and effort, I like taking patients through that journey. That That's a big one. Sometimes patients come in wanting all these things. And I really just have to sit down and tell them, if we can just get your skin more uniform, the texture improved, and just sort of do a full face rejuvenation, that is going to be the biggest bang for your buck. That's going to be the best money spent. Because I feel like if you were to get a facelift, but your complexion's not right, you have a lot of dyschromia or discoloration, you're not going to be happy. It's not going to look great. So I always love to just get your skin right, get it beautiful, get it glowing. And it really just can improve how someone feels about themselves. It's really remarkable. And yeah, no one's going to look at you and think, ooh, what did she have done or what did he have done? They're just going to look at you and think, oh my gosh, you look great. Like, did you just get back from vacation without a tan, of course, right? Like, did you have a full night of sleep? That's what I always tell people, like a refreshed you, not younger. I never go for younger. I never say, you know, 10 years younger. I just say like refreshed you. And I think that does kind of speak to people, but it can be a one a one to overlook. Like patients sometimes just don't realize it. And that's why we're here. And another reason why I don't focus on like procedure A, because if your friend had procedure A, it may not be for you. Come in with what bothers you, not with what device we can work with. I usually would give a patient a mirror and say, well, don't tell me you heard about this or that on the internet. 
I want you to look in the mirror and tell me what is the number one thing that bothers you? Is it wrinkling or your skin texture or your eyes or your nose? Because that's what we should focus on first. But a lot of times they can't necessarily pinpoint what's bothering them. But when I sort of explain to them how we can really just refresh, rejuvenate their skin, that that's really just going to give them this beautiful canvas. And then they can go have their rhinoplasty or their eyelids or their lips lifted, all that other fun stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it's the same thing, right? And, and people will ask me like, well, you're like, you're plastics. Like why is skin something you focus on? It's exactly what you said. I, I mean, I'm not operating on your skin, right? So if your face is lifted and contoured and it's all discolored, you are going to be unhappy. I'm going to be unhappy. So, and everything on the face ages together, right? Nothing ages like in isolation. Right. And that's why there's such overlap in these sort of aesthetics fields, facial plastics and dermatology, oculoplastics are so much overlap. And I may not do one procedure, but I know who to send you to and I can get your skin looking great. And we all have our areas of expertise, but I think universally we understand your point that, yeah, it's not just a one thing goes bad and the rest looks great. It, it ages all together and we have to sort of fix them all together. And I also really believe in you can make your skin look better by just taking care of your body. I think people think their skin is just their face. They forget that they have skin all over the rest of the body as well. You really have to take care of it from the inside out too. And I'm sure that also helps your surgery patients heal better, right? When they're also taking care of themselves from the inside. Absolutely. I mean, surgery is just the surgical procedure is a stress on the body. And so if you're in optimal health, which is the only time you really should be having a cosmetic procedure, then of course, you're going to heal better. You're going to heal faster, not going to need as much help. Your wounds are going to heal faster. They're not going to fall apart. So I stress that so much. And I always tell my patients that all of your ducks have to be in a row and then uh, we're not going to do this like just because, you know, like during COVID, everybody, the height of the pandemic, everybody wanted it. I said, this is not like the time to do it just because you have two months off or three months off. We got to like, you know, we got to make sure everything's ready to roll. Great advice. Well, Dr. Prem, this has been a lot of fun. Can you share with us maybe three tips for the listeners and the audience if they are thinking about having an aesthetic procedure, aesthetic surgical procedure, what should they do? Yeah, I would say number one is don't forget about the basics, right? If you did nothing from here on out, if you decided that this is beyond what you want to pay for and go through, put your sunscreen on, like wear your sunscreen. It is going to improve your skin. It's not just going to prevent, you will have improvement in your skin. So don't forget about the very basics. I would also say stay away from trends, like really see someone that's going to focus on you and what you're interested in and where your goals are and sort of get the trends out of your head because a trend is a trend. Tomorrow, it's not going to be there anymore. And you might be left with a procedure that you got because, you know, 10 of your friends had it. And then the last one is just focus on remembering that Anything that you do at home is going to complement what you do in the office. It isn't like a you go in and get your oil changed. You still have to, have to fill up gas and wash your car and do these regular tune-ups, right? So we've got to maintain all these things at home, whether it's skincare, sunscreen, you know, reducing stress, sleeping, all of these things culminate in just helping you feel and look your best. So don't forget about the small amount of maintenance that you can do at home to really make a big impact. Such great advice. And I love that this is coming from someone who's not a dermatologist. So I love that you are getting the word out there for all your patients and listeners out there. So really great advice and definitely dermatologist approved. Dr. Prim, where can our listeners 
find you if they want to follow you? And you put out really great content on social media. So where can they find you? I appreciate that. So I'm on Instagram and TikTok at the same. It's at drpremtropathy. I'm located in the San Francisco Bay Area, just 30 minutes east of the Bay. And so I practice there. I'm starting a new practice. And so you can book a consultation with me either through one of my socials. The plastic surgery office is going to be called Bay Hills Plastic Surgery. And so you can find it online at Bay Hills Plastic Surgery. Um, and I have a new YouTube channel starting soon. So lots of ways to find me and get a hold of me. Awesome. Well, I will include all of that in the show notes so people can definitely uh, find that information. And this has been great. I really appreciate your time, Dr. Prem. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. All right. We'll see everyone next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Skin Reel. I hope it's been informative, educational, and perhaps a little entertaining. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to like and subscribe and share with a friend. Don't want to stop your learning just yet? Head on over to theskinreel.com for show notes, blog posts, and so much more. Until next time, skin friends.